The following Dharma talk was presented at Common Ground Meditation Center in Minneapolis, Minnesota as part of the weekly Dharma series. The speaker is Mark Nunberg, guiding teacher at Common Ground. Thank you all for coming again. So tonight is October 4th, and this is the Wednesday night Dharma talk. And I'm continuing a series of talks on the Four Foundations of Mindfulness. So it's in the context of talking about the Eightfold Path, the path the Buddha laid out, or a way of talking about how a human being moves from a heart and mind that is full of stress and confusion to a heart and mind that's unburdened by human existence. So that's, in a way, a way to understand the goal of a spiritual practice is to uncover or discover a heart, mind, that can be unburdened with things as they are. So unburdened means unburdened with being Mark, with Mark's personality and Mark's particular set of circumstances. So it's not being unburdened in the sense like when I get to some utopia, the perfect mark, you know, with the perfect life and the perfect group of friends. But right now in this particular situation with this body and mind, how is it possible to be unburdened? So in the previous weeks, uh, just as a reminder of the four foundations of mindfulness. So mindfulness is one of the eight steps in the path that the Buddha laid out. And in a more technical way, sometimes we use the word mindfulness to represent this whole path of awakening, the path of cultivating uh, an awareness, an open awareness that can discern how things are and sort of ignites or sets in motion insight so that our understanding comes in alignment with the way things are. So part of that path is this this uh, more specific training or establishing awareness with the body, which means the five physical senses. So in a way, we're guarding the senses, but not guarding the senses and like not letting in sense experience walking around with blinders on or earplugs on, but guarding it with awareness so that if there's a predominant visual experience, there's a knowing this is happening. This is how it is. Seeing is like this. If there's a predominant auditory experience, then there's a knowing. Hearing is like this. Same with tactile experience or smell or taste. And, of course, with thought, too, which is the sixth sense. In a Buddhist framework, we have the five physical senses, and then we have the mind. So there are six gates of experience. We're either having experience through the five physical senses or through thought, images, thoughts in the mind. And so the first stage of mindfulness practice is to establish mindfulness with the five physical senses. The second phase has to do with establishing mindfulness with one particular aspect of the mind, which we call feeling, the feeling tone. So knowing the presence or absence of pleasantness, neutrality, or unpleasantness. 
So we're having an experience. Every time we have an experience, the mind perceives it as pleasant, unpleasant, or can't tell. We call that neutral. But it's more accurate probably to call it can't tell. Like we're not clear enough to know whether this is subtly pleasant or subtly unpleasant. It would be an interesting question to see if there's actually an experience that's neutral. There probably are, but it's, it's probably rare. So we have mindfulness of the body, mindfulness of feeling, mindfulness of the mind. And mindfulness of the mind is just observing the presence or absence of wholesomeness in the mind. So is there kindness in the mind or aversion? Is there generosity in the mind or greediness, wanting? Is there cloudedness, delusion, or is there clarity in the mind? So it's this very neutral recognizing of how the mind is. And it's really nice just to be able to do that we have to start relating to the mind in a neutral way, which is so important. And in Buddhist practice, we call this equanimity. Learning to relate to things that we normally take so personally, like how our mind is. Learning to relate to the mind in a neutral way. Well, now the mind is like this. Now the mind is like this. Anger is like this. Happiness is like this. Wanting to get revenge is like this. Feeling humiliated is like this. Feeling like I want to save the world is like this. So we're just noticing the mind and having a sense of whether it falls into the side of unwholesome, meaning this particular mind state is leading to contraction, or on the side of wholesome, meaning this particular mind state sets in motion release, the release from contraction, from feeling burdened in the moment. And that's the third foundation. And that's what I've been talking about most recently. And starting last week, I started connecting this mindfulness of mind with the fourth foundation. So the Buddha said, you establish the mindfulness in the body. You start to get clear with pleasant and unpleasant and neutral experience, really beginning to notice that, not to be oblivious to when things are pleasant to notice. This is pleasant. Pleasantness is like this or when an experience is unpleasant, to notice that. Then to start to notice the skillfulness or the wholesomeness or lack of wholesomeness in the mind. Now, the fourth foundation is a little trickier. Often when you read the translations, they call this fourth foundation mindfulness of mind objects, which doesn't really help much. I think a better translation that some people use is mindfulness of mental qualities. And we can even say mindfulness of specific mental qualities. So here, we're not just noticing the wholesomeness or the lack of wholesomeness in the mind, but we're in, uh, what we're doing is we're taking the structures that the Buddha laid out and we're categorizing our mind, the mental qualities in the mind, according to these categories that the Buddha set up. So for example, the, one of the first categories we use, one of the most important, is just to it's like we scan through the mind and we see, are there any hindrances in the mind? Paul, there's a chair up here if you want to come up here. Um, so that's just one of the categories. So instead of feeling generally afflicted by life, we, we impose this model on the mind. You know, seeing things in terms of greed, aversion, 
restlessness, dullness, doubt. And so we know we're oppressed. So which of these five categories does this particular flavor of oppression, being burdened, fall into? So that's really good. So instead of generally feeling like you're sitting there suffering, you can just look at the mind and try to categorize the suffering, the affliction, whatever it is, as one of these five things. Does it have the flavor of craving, kind of a leaning forward, a flavor of aversion, a restlessness or a worry, a dullness or inertia in the mind, like a heaviness in the mind or heaviness in the body? Or is it a a doubting, like not being able to settle on anything? So that's one category. The second, there's five parts to this fourth foundation of mindfulness. Next week I'll have a handout for you. I don't want to make it too complicated because it can be a little overwhelming. I think the best way to hold this particular part of mindfulness practice is instead of just noticing what's in the mind, we're in particular interested in noticing how wholesome things come in and are maintained in the mind, and how unwholesome states come in and are abandoned, right? So, for example, with these five hindrances, it's not just being aware whether there's greed in the mind, because that's really the third foundation, knowing the mind, mindfulness of the mind, it would be knowing if there's greed. But in particular, it's not just knowing whether there's greed in the mind, but noticing what was there that supported the arising of greed. Or if it's already there before you start noticing it, then what's there that's supporting that greed? Or what's in the mind that will support the falling away of that greed? So we're learning the causal uh, nature of all these experiences. We're basically seeing that they're impermanent, but not just noticing that when there's greed in the mind, that it's not going to be there forever. But most importantly, we're trying to see what actually causes greed to come in and causes it to go away. So we're not missing those, uh, you know, how it's part of a web of conditions, conditions that support, conditions that undermine. So I'll just generally outline this fourth foundation, and then over the next several weeks we'll work through it. And you can see when you look at the four foundations, it covers the whole curriculum the Buddha taught in so many different ways, and especially with this fourth foundation. So the Buddha says the first thing we want to understand causally, like how the hin- how things come into being and how they pass away, are the five hindrances. So how the various kinds of afflictions come into the mind and then how they go out of the mind. Once we get skilled at that, then the Buddha gives us two other things pay attention to the five aggregates and the six sense gates. Now these are relatively neutral categories and what we're trying to do here is just see the body-mind experience in an impersonal way. So once we're not afflicted, once we've learned how unwholesome things come into the mind and how to abandon them, then we can do this more subtle practice which is just looking at the body-mind experience in an impersonal way. And there's two ways to do that. One is to see things in terms of the five aggregates, which means that whenever there's a predominant experience, so in every moment we notice what's predominant, 
And we just see it as one of these five things. Is it body, meaning the five physical senses? So you're going to recognize these. You may not recognize the term five aggregates, but you're going, to re- you're going to recognize the five things that make up the five aggregates. So is it body experience? Or is it one aspect of the mind? And he divides the mind into four categories. Feeling, I've already talked about. Pleasantness, unpleasantness. Perception. Perception is like memory. So if I look out at Adam in the room, I see that, and then... There's a, a moment of mentality that arises. So I'm having a visual experience. That's body, right? Because it's one of the five physical senses. And then that visual experience is the cause or rising right with that visual experience is the memory. Oh, that's Adam. That per- that's perception, right? So we're noticing the body. And then one aspect, the, the next four are just the mind. Perception, feeling and consciousness, and then everything else in the mind. So this is mental formations, but it's basically a catch-all term, any other part of the mind. So we're dividing the mind into consciousness, which can't be known directly because consciousness, in a way, is the light that illuminates everything else. So you can't actually see it, but you can know it indirectly. Mental formations, perceptions, and feelings. The simple way to remember the five aggregates is just body and mind. And the six sense bases is just another way of doing the same thing. And I sort of mentioned this earlier tonight. So we're just sitting, you know, so we're not afflicted by the five hindrances because remember, we've already gotten good at seeing the presence or absence of the five hindrances and learning how to abandon them, how they come into the mind, how to abandon them. So then we're in this more neutral place and we're simply observing predominant experience in terms of the five aggregates. And then once we've done that training, we can move on to the six sense bases, which again, just the five physical senses in the mind. And so whatever is predominant, we're just knowing. Oh, seeing. This is seeing. Seeing is like this. The predominant experience is hearing. The predominant experience is sensing in terms of physical sensation. The pr- predominant experience is thinking. So we're just categorizing everything in this way. And it really undermines the sense of self, taking things personally. Because we're just categorizing things in terms of six senses, six sense experiences. A visual experience, a mental experience, an auditory experience. So it's virtually the same as the five aggregates. It's just a different way of dividing up experience. So that's part of the um, fourth foundation. Then when we do that, then we move on to wholesome states. So then we're simply looking at the mind and we're learning to discern, to see wholesome mind states. So one list is the seven factors of awakening. So there are seven wholesome factors the Buddha says are present and in balance in order for insight to arise. And these seven factors include mindfulness, and then three energizing factors, investigation, energy, and rapture, or joyful interest. And then three calming factors, tranquility, concentration, and equanimity. So you don't need to remember these. You're going to have a sheet next week anyway. But I'm just sort of giving you the general lay of the land for the fourth foundation. 
So we start by just noticing hindrances. When we get good at hindrances, then we practice dividing experience into mental and physical. And there are different categories. You can use the six sense bases or the five aggregates. But you're just dividing experience up and learning to relate to experience in a more impersonal way. Well, it's just mind. It's just body. Body's like this. Then we start just that development of equanimity, like to see the body-mind as an impersonal happening, coming and going, now this, now that, less attachment, less identification with the body-mind experience. Then it allows us to, it actually triggers the arising of the more wholesome states. We get interested, right? That's investigation. As we get interested, energy arises. There's this sort of like, uh, you know, whenever we're in new territory, the mind gets awake. You go traveling, like people like to travel or do extreme sports because it wakes them up. They feel awake. And it's the same thing with doing sort of this inner work, this inner sort of journey, learning, awakening to the mind, awakening to the heart. We get interested, and then the energy comes. And when the energy comes, joy arises. That's rapture. And as the joy develops, we start feeling content. That's the equanimity or the tranquility comes in. And the mind settles down. That's the concentration. And then equanimity follows. So it's just the mind coming in balance. It comes naturally in this process. But we want to specifically start to notice these seven wholesome factors. Because the important thing with these wholesome factors is that they're in balance. Like if there's too much energy, then insight won't arise. We need to develop the tranquilizing factors. Or if there's too much tranquility, then insight won't arise. We need to develop the energizing factors. So this is the reason why we want to discern the wholesome factors in the mind so that we can bring them in balance. Not enough energy, then we emphasize seeing the energizing factors. Just seeing those wholesome energizing factors like interest in the mind will develop them. Or just seeing the wholesome calming factors, like just looking at the experience of tranquility in the mind, strengthens the tranquility. And it helps to bring the mind in balance. And then once we sort of understand those wholesome factors, then we look at the experience of suffering in the most subtle way. Stress or affliction, burdened, feeling burdened in the heart and mind in the most subtle way. So this is the Four Noble Truths. So here we're pretty calm because We've learned to work with the hindrances. we learned to relate to the body and the mind in a very neutral way using the five aggregates and the six sense bases, seeing things in, in that light. And then we learn to recognize wholesome mind states and to bring them into a beautiful balance. Not too much energy, not too much tranquility. right? And it's the mindfulness that helps us know when we're out of balance. We'll just notice there's too much energy or too much tranquility or not enough tranquility, not enough energy. And so we bring it into balance. And then with that nice, beautiful balance in the mind, we simply observe dukkha, suffering, stress, in the most subtle or however it is manifesting, noticing it, noticing the cause, noticing how it ends. And we keep repeating this observation because this uh, seeing the impermanent nature of suffering or seeing the natural causal 
nature of suffering undermines the basic belief that suffering belongs to somebody. With the mind that, we could say the deepest habit of the mind is to identify with the experience of suffering. In fact, suffering, a definition of suffering is a mind identifying with something unpleasant. That's suffering. A mind grass a mind creating a sense of somebody who's burdened by some experience. That's that's suffering. So we're constantly watching how the the experience of our mind, heart being burdened, how that arises in our experiences, our experience, how it passes out of our experience. So we're seeing it, we're seeing the causes, abandoning the cause, we see it fall away. So an example of this would be, so now we're pretty chilled out because we've abandoned the hindrances, we're seeing our body and mind in an impersonal way, we've brought the mind into balance with energy and tranquility. So there's a lot of energy and a lot of tranquility, a lot of alertness and a lot of calmness. So it's not we're not passive at all, we're quite bright, awake. It's just that, that great brightness is balanced with a sense of ease too. So there we are. And so we're observing something. So here I am sitting in this really nice, balanced state, and a memory comes up. Something I did a long time ago that was really stupid, let's say. And it's my habit to identify with it. So that memory, now I often use the example of my high school graduation. And uh, so that memory would come up sometimes, and the mind would grasp onto it. Oh, I can't believe I did that, something like that. So there's a clear identification. And with the identification, dukkha, suffering arises, stress arises in the mind. I feel burdened. And then, because there's that calm, balanced presence, I see this unfolding moment by moment. I see how out of nowhere comes the memory. And then from that memory comes attachment. From attachment comes suffering, the, the sense of a somebody suffering. And seeing that, there's the possibility of abandoning the identification. Oh, that's just memory. Memory is like this. So that's, that's, re, that's relating to the memory in a neutral way. Relating to the memory in a neutral way means that the identification isn't present. With the absence of identification, dukkha falls away. There's no more burden, no more suffering. And there's an awareness of that whole process, how the memory comes, suffering follows, Seeing the cause, abandoning the cause, the identification, suffering falls away. And that, doing that hundreds of thousands of times through the course of years of practice, uh, in little ways and sometimes in big gulps, insight arises. The insight that understands, the mind-heart that understands, grasping is dukkha, non-grasping is freedom. And really getting that grasping is a choice made due to uh, wrong view, not understanding things as they are. We grasp because we think it, it's, it does something good for us, right? That somehow if I grasp with aversion that memory, that painful memory, oh, in order to push it away, you have to grasp it. You have to identify with it, right? If it's not personal, you would never push it away. 
It's just what it is. It's like if you're watching a horror film and you have this nice, balanced mind, right? It doesn't matter if the chainsaw person comes out because you, you just realize it's just photons, right? And, and, and waves. You're not confused by the image or the sound. But when the mind takes it personally, like even a movie, believe it or not, we take personally, right? We have a reaction. We feel burdened by it. Heaven knows why we actually watch these things. But I think, I think because somehow we'd rather feel alive by being burdened than uh, sort of numb. And the, pro- the process of practice is actually looking at why we're so closed off because we've been so burdened, we're closed off. So we need sort of these shocking things to make us feel alive. So the whole process of practice is becoming more and more sensitive and using the greater sensitivity in the service of having this insight, of seeing these four noble truths, seeing how suffering arises, how how there are causes, these causes can be abandoned, and then there's freedom over and over again. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.